Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with Eric Trexler and... And Eric, nay, I say today is kind of a special episode for us. It is. We decided to do this together alone <laughs> without a, without one of our many brilliant guests we always invite. That's true. But it was a special week where Microsoft dropped this pretty voluminous uh, uh, Ukraine report. And there's a lot to dig in there. And, and I think this is a great opportunity to chat through it a little bit. But there's so many questions that remain that I think... This is just the first of many conversations on this. I think it'll be a great topic. We'll do our best to cover it. There's also another report that came out about Ukraine's IT army. Yes. Which yes. I know blew your mind and mine. It sure did. And who was, uh, I don't know if I can say the name. It was The source is the IT army of Ukraine by Stefan Sosanto, if I'm saying think, that correctly. I, yeah, I think that's right. Stefan Sosanto, um, cyber defense report coming out of the center for security, security studies in Zurich, Switzerland. Just came out June of 2022, and I couldn't tell you how many pages it is. It it's is about 32. very uh, 31, I think, 32 <laughs> okay. or 31. I can tell you, I can tell you. <laughs> it's thorough is what, what I will say. I, I was reading through it yesterday and it was very thorough. Thank you for that. Um, but for those that maybe had missed the Microsoft report, do you wanna give um, maybe a quick little tee up on, on what that is, Eric? Yeah, so Microsoft released a report titled, let me make sure I got this right here. Sorry about the flipping. Defending Ukraine, Early Lessons from the Cyber War. And I think there's some really good early lessons in here. It's a little bit salesy. It's, it's you know, it's sure. clearly Microsoft focused. Right. And it's it, it appears to be primarily based on Microsoft's lens into exactly. the war. And they have a huge lens. I think at one point they talk about over 400 trillion events observed a day globally. Which That's is a lot. It's a lot. It's yes. a lot. But I'll tell you, at some point you hit statistical relevance and the difference between 1 million and 400 trillion isn't statistically, it doesn't matter, right? But, but they right. do have quite a lens at the endpoint level. And I think yes. based on their Azure, their Azure stack, they also have capability um, at, at some level at the data center or network level, right? But they do have a different lens than a Cisco might have Right. who has a very network-centric approach, they will see a lot more events on the network side, in my right. experience. Uh, but they're not as detailed. You don't get as much, much context as you do with right. an endpoint. My time at McAfee, we had, I think it was 100 and, I forget, it was 140 or 50 million sensors across the globe. Wow. And you learned a lot. You could see things happening in real time mm -hmm. or near real time because you had those sensors everywhere. Um, and you'd also see blind spots. Right. If you didn't have a sensor in China, guess what? You had you had very little visibility into China, right. or if you didn't have a lot of sensors, I should say. So I just, I put that out there, Rachel, recognizing based on my experience in this business, that the Microsoft report is very good. And yes. we can draw a lot of early lessons. In fact, I'm going to cover them right now. Yes. Um, but it is a Microsoft lens, so keep that in mind. So, yes. So... There's a, there's a good five, six page summary from Brad Smith at Microsoft, but they go into five conclusions. Go ahead. 
No, yeah, I was it's pretty say, good. Yeah, it was a really great blog post uh, breakdown of, of what's in there. But I do think you have to read the whole report to get the proper context. Yes. So first, first conclusion, defense against a military invasion now requires for most countries, the ability to disperse and distribute digital operations and data set assets across borders and into other countries, right? Yes. Distribute your data and processing. Right. Now, if I'm a Microsoft salesperson, hey, that's great. We've got the Azure cloud stack. If I'm Amazon, same thing, right? Google, yeah, put it in our data center. But we'll go into more detail. It's a really good idea. Yes, 100%. Like it's really, like, that's a good idea. And we saw in practice here why it was good. So second, recent advances in cyber threat intelligence and endpoint protection have helped Ukraine withstand a higher percentage of destructive Russian cyber attacks. We'll talk about that. I, I agree, yes. but I, I agree. Okay, third, as a coalition of countries has come together to defend Ukraine, Russian intelligence agencies have stepped up network penetration and espionage activities targeting allied, just flipping the page, Rachel, governments outside Ukraine. Yes. Well, we've seen this war. It, it is a it is a Russian-Ukraine conflict, but NATO's involved. The Five Eyes are involved. Yes. China, India. You and I were talking last night mm -hmm. as we were talking about this. Brazil is involved, yes. right? Fertilizers, who would have known? Yeah. <laughs> so you would absolutely expect that to happen as Russia is looking at what are these friendly and non-friendly nations yes. doing and thinking right now? I need to know more. And then fourth, in coordination with these other cyber activities, Russian agencies are conducting global cyber influence operations to support their war efforts. Absolutely, hands down, my opinion here, the most potentially risky and damaging to the free world. Right. And we've seen Russia, Russia is very good at this. And then finally, yes. number five, the lessons from Ukraine call for a coordinated and comprehensive strategy to strengthen defenses against the full range of cyber destructive espionage and influence operations. That's the one for me where it's like, okay, great. We knew that. Like the lessons call for a coordinated and comprehensive strategy. Brad Smith and Microsoft have been talking about a, I believe they, they were the big ones on the digital, the, the digital G, uh, Geneva convention. Mm -hmm. Right, we've got to have some right. laws of cyber. They've been doing it for years. Brad's been number one on this, in my from my experience in the industry. I think this is a continuation of that. But that is right. what we're, you know, the report is about. It's very good, and and we can talk about it. Love it. Let's do it. And then we have the IT army, the Ukraine IT army, which I know. There's so much to dig into there as well and, and kind of implications of such as well. Okay, yes. so the first one, distribution of digital operations in wartime. The paper actually starts out if you, I think it's in the, in the full reading, which is absolutely worth a read if you're in this business. But I think the paper starts out with a story about the second war and how, how in mm -hmm. London, the UK, the British government had to move its communications equipment underground into cabinet mm -hmm. war rooms because of the Battle of London, right? The Blitz. Right. They were getting bombed and they needed to continue to communicate. So what do they do? They distribute and protect their assets. Right. What did we see in this case? Well, what we saw here was on the 17th of February, the Ukraine government changed their law. They took some action 
about a week, a little more than a week before the conflict went kinetic, went physical, which, went started. Which is interesting timing, right? I mean, no? I think it is. I mean, one of the okay. things that I observed in the press, and I'm just talking about free press here, no, uh, right. no other intelligence gathering, it appeared that President Zelensky and, and the Ukraine government did not feel the Russians were going to roll across their borders on the 24th of February, right? right. They hadn't distributed a lot of their physical, you know, their traditional defense assets. Um, we, we saw a lot of, of planes and, air, and, and helicopters and assets that were caught unaware. Yes. Right? They, hadn't, they hadn't mobilized the nation, the, their version of the National Guard yet. Uh, so, so as you, and, and I'm trying to remember back to that, you know, four months ago at this point, mm -hmm. but they really didn't appear to, to think that the Russians were going to roll across the border when they did. They, they right. almost were taken somewhat by surprise. But what they did do a week before was they allowed Ukraine to change the law, which allowed them to distribute data and assets outside of Ukraine, compute and data. Yep. I think it's brilliant. So the Ukrainian Genius. data protection law prohibited government authorities from processing and storing data in public clouds. Stroke of genius, they change it. A week later, they're at war. A week, but they one had week assets, later. Yes. right? And, and, and some of the first, I, I was doing some research the other night, and some of the first assets that the Russians hit with physical kinetic weapons, bombs, missiles, were Ukraine, known Ukrainian data centers, right? So if all of that processing, all of that communications, communications equipment was resident just in the country of Ukraine, right? it's easily targetable, easily yep. accessible, and, and clearly, you know, you break down communications, you've got a problem. So I, I think exactly. that was, it, was a, it was a stroke of genius. Microsoft talks about the next 10 weeks. Obviously, they didn't move it overnight. But right. in the next 10 weeks, they moved many operations and data to distributed cloud environments. If you look at Microsoft's regional data centers in Europe, they're in, they're in Frankfurt and Berlin and Marseille and Paris and, and Northern Italy. I mean, they have data centers all in the NATO countries, the European right. Union. And what we saw here, which I think just underscores the brilliance, just like equipment that the NATO countries are moving into Ukraine, wartime equipment, right. military equipment, it hasn't been touched until it crosses the borders into Ukraine. Right. The data assets have been relatively protected also because mm -hmm. they aren't inside the borders of Ukraine. And I think Russia is trying to ensure that this conflict doesn't escalate. I don't think at this point, right. especially with what we've seen from Russia's military effectiveness, they want an all-out conflict with the NATO, right. right? No. You just don't, I mean, that's pretty evident. So they move the data and it's protected, just like in how it's, a U.S. howitzer is when it's sitting in Poland waiting for movement into Europe. Brilliant, right. Brilliant move on their part. Brilliant um, move. And the they've spent other, years, I think, working to this, Eric, right? I mean, I think that's kind of the, they, they've had a, several, several years of kind of preparedness of, uh, you know, kind of knowing what's coming. And, and, and in the event of a, you know, quote unquote, cyber war, um, they knew they had to move quickly if, if something did happen, perhaps. So uh, if anyone knows the Russian tactics, perhaps in the cyber realm, uh, it is Ukraine. So yeah, very we've had, smart uh, timing. We've had several people tell us, and, and I know I've talked to others off the air, that Ukraine has 
probably the best cyber defenders and offensive teams out there. Big why? They get so much practice. Exactly. Right? They're very good. In fact, I forget who I was asking. I said, even better than the uh, than Estonia and Lithuania, you know. Absolutely. They get so much practice. Yeah. It's it's, uh, it's fascinating. And we'll get into the IT army later. I don't want to talk about it just yet, but I, I think that's a really nice segue there as well. Yeah. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. So, so when the other benefit I see when you, when you move that infrastructure to the cloud is you don't have to deal with the responsibility for security of the cloud, right? If you look right. at the AWS shared responsibility model, Microsoft has a similar, I'm assuming Google has a very similar. The difference is the you're no longer like setting up servers setting up the networking i mean you still have to have connectivity right. to your processing centers but a lot of the software the compute the storage the databases the networking all that global infrastructure the redundancy you know that's all taken care of by a csp right you don't have to worry about as much so when you're in time of conflict what do you want to do you want to slim down and focus simplify yes. and automate as much as you can you're yes. pushing that off to third parties in yes. microsoft's case in the report they claim and this is a little salesy um this whole effort so far has been 107 million dollars of technology services to support the effort yes helping 20 ministries and more than 100 state agencies and state-owned enterprises in total, Microsoft has provided $239 million in financial and technology assistance to support Ukraine. Wow. Now, I don't want to turn this into a Microsoft commercial. Right. But let's assume it's even loosely accurate, right? Microsoft right. is doing, and we can assume that other CSPs may be doing the same thing, but they are providing capability that the Ukraine government, the Ukraine people don't have to do, freeing up resources for right. offensive operations. Mm-hmm kinetic operations, whatever it may be. So a simple example might be like patch management, Rachel. I'm running a whole server farm. How do I keep them patched? How do I keep them up to date? Right. My servers, right? So Ukraine has to do some of that, but some of the, the networking side, um, you know, the, the different, the, the different um, compute capability, you know, Amazon or Microsoft will help you do that. You don't have to do all that, all that patching and you have to do some, Right. But not as much. The other thing, you know, Microsoft would say they're, they're providing Key Vault, they're providing DDoS protection, yep. Azure information protection. I think a lot of the data they're getting is through Microsoft Defender. Mm -hmm. They've got a good lens on things. So when a yes. new attack is out there, Microsoft can stop it before it gets to the actual compute platform itself, or Amazon can in this case. And I think that's a huge benefit to Ukraine. Absolutely is. And I wonder too, I mean, you, you heard a lot, you know, kind of at the, at the beginning of the conflict uh, about their Minister of Digital Transformation, uh, Fedorov. And uh, I know he was very active on social media, but it, it seems like there were, there were some within the Ukrainian, you know, kind of government appointees that were uh, cyber savvy, technically savvy as well, that uh, I think were reaching out to a lot of uh, folks for help uh, and, and, uh, and, and getting it. So that's, it's really wonderful to see that, that come together. Well, again, I think that goes back to, they've had a lot of practice, right? Not Petu, right. what was that, 2017, I think? Yes. You know, targeting Ukraine and, and, and a lot of practice here. 
of so practice. it is top of mind. One of the things I observe in the Five Eyes governments, you know, my customer base is over the last oh, 12, 13, 15 years I've been in this business, the the cyber, the, 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 the InfoSec cyber security knowledge, awareness, just general understanding, mm-hmm. focus has increased, I don't know, tenfold, more? Probably more. Right. I, I mean, say, we've yes. had several, we've had several congressmen on the, on the podcast. We've had, we've had general officers across yes. the board, cyber savviness. Maybe we can coin that term for the podcast here, Rachel, like has increased, <laughs> right? People are more aware and nobody more than Ukraine in my experience, in my, right. in my guess, because they've had so much practice. Well, exactly. And I mean, it's, it's unfortunate to say, and, you know, we, I think back to 2017 as, as well, um, you know, we were still like, you know, we need to elevate the cyber discussion. And, and I think as a result of so many of these kind of devastating incidents like NotPetya and, and so forth, um, I think everyone's now so keenly aware of, of the threat and they have to step up the cyber game. So it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing, right, that, that we got here. But thank goodness we got here, I think. I, I, I agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. And we have a long way to go. As John said last week on the show, he's very optimistic. We're making strides. I'm not quite as optimistic, but we have a long way to go. And let's see how we get there. So, so, so number two, number, number two, two here, yes. cyber threat intelligence and endpoint protection advances help Ukraine. Yes. I mostly agree with this, right? Brad, Brad Smith says a defining aspect of these attacks so far has been the strength and relative success of cyber defenses. I do tend to agree, and it goes back to the Ukrainians being some of the best in the world right? at protecting their nation, the ability to go offline. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's more here to this, right? So we, we saw the, the Connecticut, the missile attacks on government yes. data centers, the distribution of assets. Um, there is a lot of third-party help going to them. Absolutely. Right? They've distributed Absolutely. that compute. Um, and, and the other thing I think we've seen is once things go kinetic, physical, right? Bombs, missiles, tanks, infantry, aircraft. I think one of the things we saw was the government of Russia wasn't exactly coordinated, especially in the beginning. It appears that, right. it appears to me that just like their military was surprised that they were going into Russia, and we, we've read enough reports to believe that that's probably pretty pretty accurate, I think the cyber forces in Russia were probably pretty surprised, and they didn't have time to soften the battlefield. They right. didn't have time to do the preemptive work that they needed to do. And they're still being serviced by NATO, by the friendly yes. countries. Yes. We're providing capability. I'll talk about it a little later, or we'll talk about it a little later. But Microsoft talks about this not just being a government problem, that unlike typical conflict war, this type of conflict in war, it's digital. And right. commercial industry has a big part. And and in this, you know, to this report, Microsoft has a really big role to play here. And they talk about it. They've got, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, right? All the sensors that they have. Yes. They see as much as or more than the government. They are a a sensor input 
to the U.S. government also. So we have we have Jen Easterly and CISA with shields up, right? right? We're telling the U.S., hey, get ready. Why? Well, commercial industry and the government are seeing all of this activity pick up. Right. So I think we are getting better, but just like we're providing intelligence to the Ukrainians um, from the ISR overflights of Europe, right? And, and right? Before the war started, we were flying over Ukraine, monitoring the posture of the Russian yes. army. What are they going to do? How are they changing? How many troops are there? How many are coming in? All those ISR flights, by the way, moved outside of Ukraine, right? We didn't want anything to happen at, in the Black Sea. They only go, they only go to so, so far north and you can see a definitive line on those ISR overflights, mostly P3, right. P3 uh, in, um, aircraft. Right, but you, you see the line where they will not go north because we don't want to have an accident. Well, and that's a really good point, Eric, because there's the kinetic aspect, right? You know, the physical war um, that everyone is, that there is that line that, that seems like all sides are trying to be very careful not to overstep. Uh, however, I, I have heard it characterized and, you know, in that IT Army report as well, um, that some are positioning this as the world's first cyber war being waged, which is really interesting when you look at kind of the, the physical and the cyber sides. Uh, one line is being walked incredibly carefully and the other line doesn't exist. <laughs> so, yeah. Seemingly. It's, seemingly. it's a, new, a new world order we're dealing with, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, would you characterize this as the world's first cyber war? I, d I don't know that I've seen a lot of, I guess, um, of that positioning, or maybe I'm just not looking hard enough. I, I, I didn't really think about it that way, but I guess if you step back and look at all the players, perhaps yes. Yeah, th th it's a good question, one I can't answer. I think we probably yeah. have to get some of our legal experts on. I, I, I've always said that, I've always thought that war had to be declared. Right. Right. But we're in this special operation and, and, and the U.S. had, you know, its, its operations in Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam and, 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 and Russia went into Afghanistan. So is it a war? Is it not? I mean, I, mean right. I, I don't know. People are shooting at each other. People are dying. And from a cyber perspective, people are attacking other people. You know, we don't have yes. any, any reports right now of, of, of cyber conflict causing death or dismemberment or harm. Right. Is it a war? I mean, it's definitely part of, I mean, I, I yeah. would, I, I would say, I don't know if it's legally a war, but it, what the special operation, clearly a war, yes. right? You go back 300 years, an invasion across a country's border into another country, that's war. Right. We're doing it with cyber security, you know, cyber tools. I think that's probably, uh, you know, is it, is it a war? I don't know. I, I um, would say yes. Certainly I am not the authority on this, but is it the first I mean, we've talked on the show a lot. We've been in a exactly. low-grade cyber conflict for how yes. long? Yes. I mean, exactly. look at solar winds. Right. Right? Or sunburst, excuse me. Sunburst, like, yes. Like, yes. look at that from a year and a half ago. Look at all of the attacks we've seen. Is it war? Does it matter what the naming is? I mean, exactly. obviously a country is, is reaching into another country with the intent to do harm. That's probably not a bad thing. Right. Or not a good thing, excuse me. No, it's right. not. And it's not one country either, as we know, right? I mean, there's there's several large, large countries that have been, you know, executing said exploits. Uh, so it's, it's, it's an itch. I mean, that could be a whole podcast episode on its own. Um, well, and I don't know that there's a definitive yeah. answer, but what we are seeing, right. especially as the time goes on, we are seeing 
cyber activity in conjunction with physical activity. Yes. We've also seen that the physical attack really overran the the uh, the, the cyber activity very quickly, right? So yeah, it was. It was uh, I think I saw a Twitter Twitter post from Dmitry Alperovich, friend of the show, um, fa- co-founder of CrowdStrike. Yes, right. He showed a picture of a of an electric an electric uh, substation or generation plant mm-hmm. that got hit by a missile. I think it was a ballistic missile or missiles. Right, and it's it's you know clearly destroyed. And in his commentary is about how. You know, the physical attack on an electric substation or generation facility, whatever it may be, is is much more damaging, much more lasting, and much more costly than a cyber attack would be. And right. I, I, I fully agree with that. Unless you can do something through, uh, you know, some kind of cyber attack where you create an explosion, a fire, or something that makes it go physical or destroys a destruction of equipment, facilities, people, you know, you could, you could be on a, a similar path here. But for the most part, kinetic destruction is is much more difficult from a re- reconstitution effort right. than a digital one from what we've seen in our time. So cy- yes. first cyber war, I would say no. Right. Cyber war, yes. Yes. Okay. Will things get better or worse? Worse. You know, one of the things we're seeing, unlike NotPetya, it appears that Russia has been very careful here to not launch attacks like the destructive wormable malware, I think right. that they call it, to jump across international borders, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're very targeted and it appears that they're trying to keep things mostly constrained minus espionage right. in the country of Ukraine. The other thing I want to talk about quickly is, you know, this comment here that Brad Smith made through Microsoft. The first is the role, you know, in, in, in section two here, um, mm-hmm. The role of the private sector that it now plays in protecting a country in a time of war. Unlike right. land, sea, and air, cyberspace is owned and operated in part by companies. And that's what right. I was talking about. Right. Right. So you normally call the Army for land, the Navy for sea, Air Force for air. Right. For cyber, well, they all have components and now we have exactly. Cyber Command and, you know, so does everybody else. Um, but this makes this war very different from major wars of the past, as Microsoft talks about it. And and Brad's continues on. It imposes a heightened responsibility on tech companies to use the best technology available and sometimes take extraordinary measures to help defend a country from attack. And then he goes into even at no charge in the case of Microsoft support for Ukraine. This stands on its own. Well, so there's a responsibility there. It really is. And it, it gets down to cyber truly is a societal issue. Right. And, and we're all in this together. You know, if, if, if there's not cooperation, coordination, we're never going to to win uh, and get further and further behind. So it's it's an important point, um, you know, but it's also, you know, all these companies kind of doing the goodwill from their perspective versus, you know, like the the coordinated cyber NATO, if you will, uh, response, which which makes it, you know, kind of kind of interesting. Right. Um, you know, does one company do all the heavy lifting and others kind of chip in or, you know, how do you distribute a, that assistance uh, in, in kind of an um, equitable way? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a big question. I agree. And what is the role? And we're seeing more government and private industry partnerships with things like the JCDC in the U.S. 
and and in Russia, you see the the direct control of companies, right? Right. You know, as reported with like Kaspersky and the, and the Russian government and people fleeing Kaspersky at this point. Um, so there there are different levels of of interconnectedness. I think this will be a space to watch over time. Absolutely. I think we'll see a lot over time as as it evolves, a lot right. of change. But one thing I will tell you, just like the government, it doesn't make sense for the government to make semiconductors anymore. Right. Right. They used to. Mm-hmm. Right. The government used to be the farthest ahead in that. Private industry now does it. Yes. In cybersecurity, the government, you know, making tools, they don't have the visibility, the view. Microsoft, I mentioned earlier, has 400 trillion, I think they mentioned, transactions a day. Right. Or incidents they're noticing a day. Something remarkable. Yes. Yes. The government doesn't see that. In the US, the government can't even look at. Right. Activities on U.S. IP addresses, U.S. computers, U.S. systems, you name it. Which is quite interesting. I mean, I understand the, you know, kind of government oversight, but it is kind of fascinating that so much power does lie with private industry here. Those are our laws. It has to. Right. 100%. I I mean, it's it's, it's a hard one. Right. Yeah. right. Right. But as John said, in cyberspace, it's not like the authorities are going to protect you, as, as you know what John said on our last podcast. So, you, law enforcement doesn't have the the talent, the capability, the number of personnel to to really help us. So that's why programs like Shields Up from CISA, their guidance guidelines, the recommendations, you get a lot from them. But you see a lot of content coming out of NIST and CISA and, right. and the like on here's what you should do. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't see that on the kinetic side. We've got an army and air force and Navy for that. Right. There's no pamphlet. Right. Hey, if there's right. a Russian sub <laughs> off the coast, here's what you should do. Right. 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 And if there were, it would be like, call the U S Navy. Exactly. <laughs> right. But in cyberspace, those boundaries are gone, which right. is interesting. Okay. So let's keep the show moving. Okay. Allied yes, government yes. network penetrations increase. Okay. To me, this is a no brainer. Of course, they're increasing. And, and they have a right. little map showing basically most of NATO, U.S. and Canada, the Five Eyes countries, right, right. Um, where network penetration and espionage, it's strategic in nature, primarily targeted at obtaining information from the governments and agencies that are playing mm-hmm. critical roles. You and I talked about Brazil last, you know, yes. I think last night. We yes. looked it up. Brazil is the biggest buyer of fertilizer from Russia. Yes. Yes. Right? Brazil is also neutral yes. in the UN against Russia and, and what's happening here in, in, in this right. special operation or war. Why? Well, they want to continue buying fertilizer because the nation of Brazil needs it, is my, exactly. my guesstimation. The other thing we see is India is a country in there. And, and a number of the Mideast company, countries are listed on the map. Why? Well, I think what we're seeing here is the Russians really need to understand what NATO's doing and thinking. Right. What these independent third third party countries, Brazil, India, you know, the Mideast, what these organizations, the governments, the companies within those countries are looking at, are doing, they want to understand from an intelligence gathering perspective, what the story is, what the messaging is. Yes. And, and so they know where they stand. 
One of the things that I think is, is interesting here, there's nothing on Russia and there's nothing on China. Right, right. Yeah, and when you look it, at the map too, it's just blank. There's nothing, nothing there. Right. The, the, yeah. So raises Why a few questions. Raise exactly. it. Well, does Microsoft not want to talk about it? Does Microsoft exactly. not have sensors in those countries or enough sensors to really detect anything? I, I or, think I'd rather not talk about it. If I were my, just my perspective, if I were Microsoft, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't go through that door myself. But. Well, certainly on the China one, you want to be very yeah. sensitive, right? Right. You exactly. definitely want to be sensitive, 100%. but you know, Russia has an interest in understanding where China sits on this issue. They had an agreement just, I think a week before the special operation kicked off, the conflict kicked off at the Olympics. Maybe it was two weeks before a strategic partnership was, was uh, reinforced or announced between China and Russia. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. I just rolled into a neutral country with tanks and aircraft and bombs and missiles. Is that going to change my relationship? I'd want right. to know that. Yes. Right? So at some, in some level, Russia has to figure out what that means for them and, 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 and how that works. So I don't know. Maybe they don't want to, uh, maybe Microsoft doesn't want to publish it. Or one of the other problems is, you know, Russia does not use a lot of U.S. Um, security capabilities. Right. Right. It's not a massive market. I don't think people, a lot of people understand that. It's right. It's uh, I think GDP wise, it's like Italy size. Oh, gotcha. Um, so, you know, one thing we haven't talked about yet, just a sidebar kind of in this part, um, you know, of, of the Russian network intrusion efforts. Uh, it was saying that there were 128 organizations in 42 countries outside the Ukraine that have been targeted. Uh, but yeah. Microsoft was finding, you know, those were successful 29% of the time. And yeah. depending on how you look at that number, Eric, is that a high number? Or is that a low number? So my initial read was that's a really, really high number. Mm -hmm. if, if you take it on the surface, we have no idea how many millions of attacks were launched against these countries. Great point. From an espionage perspective. Right. But 29% of, let's just take a million that's a lot of success. Right. I don't understand. It's not clear in the paper how Microsoft is measuring this. Right. Yes. Is it a campaign yes. instead of a specific attack? How do they define attack? To me, 29% is very high from what I've seen in my experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Usually you have a very tiny amount of malware that's successful compared to the just volumes of it that's blown out there. Right. Well, it's, right. you know, unless report, it's a very targeted attack. Yeah, I mean, there was, I, I kind of highlighted in, in the report where it said, um, Brad Smith had said that that number likely understates I know. the degree of Russian success, which I think is really interesting because to your point, I, I agree, it seems like a high number. And if it's higher than that, wow. You know, wow is right. So <laughs> it would be, it would be great to get Brad or somebody from Microsoft on the show to really get the context under that. I, yes. I, I saw the chart and, you know, we, we can see, you know, they're attacking the U S was number one. They were attacking governments, but also yes. commercial organizations, NGOs. You know, what they're trying to do is really understand what's going on. Yes. And I don't know how Microsoft measured it. I, I believe that, you know, in most cases, a persistent adversary can beat a defender's defenses right. and, and get to what they want. So if a exactly. third of the time they said, hey, I want to understand what 
this NGO is doing, breaking into a third of them, a determined adversary. Okay. I could see it if you're measuring it that way. Yeah. I could see that. Okay. So let's keep moving because we have- Yeah, let's keep moving. I know. I could could talk about this all day. I did just want to flag. It was interesting that um, Estonia was one that Microsoft said that had detected no Russian cyber intrusions and they- credited that to their adoption of cloud computing, uh, which I, I thought was really interesting of, you know, kind of all the countries and, you know, kind of uh, proximity uh, to have, you know, unscathed, if you will. Yeah. Once again, is this a blatant sales play for cloud, right? The Azure cloud, or do they not have sensors there? Right. Or did they just miss things, right? Zero right. days are zero days for a reason. We don't know right. about them and exactly. you don't know about them to Till you detect them. So there's no way to guarantee that you're, you haven't been penetrated. You haven't been breached. Mm-hmm. Right. So exactly. And this ostensibly, this report is from what, February to kind of present day. February so, to January. I don't know at what point in time they stopped and said, okay, we have to go to editing and publishing. Right. But yes. Okay. So, so number four. Still more to see. Yes. Number four. Russian global cyber influence campaigns. This is the biggest concern to me. Right. This is the Russian Internet Research Agency is a great example. We've heard about them for almost probably a decade now. Mm-hmm. An example working to actually sway public opinion in the countries across the globe. That's what we're yes. talking about here. And Foreign the- influence operations. They're cheap. They're easy. Yes. They're highly effective. And they talk about propaganda consumption in Ukraine. There's a yes. massive, massive spike. Yes. Like was it 116%? I thought, I think well, the number I think was? it's more than that, but it's yeah. massive. That's incredible. Right, right as the war kicks off. Yes. Russia does the same thing in Russia. Yes. They do it in the US. There was an example on COVID in New Zealand, the most yes. vaccinated, most, most COVID uh, protected country yeah. in the world, I believe. And they compared and contrasted the messages that Russia was putting in Russia, putting out in Russia about get mm-hmm. vaccinated, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then in in New Zealand, how the vaccines aren't working. Right. This is the most concerning to me because I think the average person doesn't have the ability or the time or doesn't take the time, make the time. Right to actually go out and validate with reputable sources sure. what's it's going on of, in the world. It's a lot of work. You're bombarded with information. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I, just, I just got on TikTok uh, over the weekend just to kind oh, of see boy. What, what, what that's all about. But it isn't, you're just flipping through, you know, and, and you see someone, you know, for one of them was like, I lost 230 pounds in, you know, four months and without diet or exercise. And, you know, the post has, I don't know, like uh, 100,000 likes and comments. And so you start kind of wondering, you know, kind of, okay, that doesn't sound humanly possible. But then you're like, well, what if, right? I mean, there's always that seed of doubt, um, you know, in anything. And and to take the time to go and research and is this for real, is it not? It takes a lot of time and effort. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to go, huh, that's pretty cool. And uh, maybe that's possible. Let me let me let me do that, and then tell somebody that's possible, and then you know propagate the lie uh, unwittingly in some in some regards, or you know just uh, just figure other people are going to like look it up for themselves and and validate. Uh, it's 
It's a well, lot of work, and, Eric. And when you have multiple sources, right? So Russia doesn't go out and put something in the front on the front page of the New York Times and say I'm done. Right. No. Right. The groundswell. Right? It's that groundswell, and and we saw in the states back a couple of years ago, we saw actual rallies where the Internet Research Agency got both sides from St. Petersburg, Russia, to come to a place. Was that Arizona? I think it was Arizona. It was Texas or Arizona. And, and have a, 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 I almost said a riot, um, a protest. They were protesting their issues. Right. This was done from St. Petersburg with <laughs> Americans. So it's really hard. Microsoft does talk about something called Microsoft's AI for Good Lab. I'd love to yes. know more about that. And they've even created a Russian propaganda index, an RPI, which is how they're measuring it. I think it's great to have a methodology. Yes, um, I'd love to know more about that. I think we should really try to get some more there. And then they talk about some other third-party reviewers, which I've heard of before. I don't know a whole lot about them. NewsGuard and the Global Disinformation Index. Oh, We've I've got to get somebody on the show. This one, yes. From the Global Disinformation, Disinformation Index, Rachel. Okay. A 216% surge. I'm looking at the notes here. Um, okay. In Ukraine. It was 216. Wow, 216. Holy An 82% increase in propaganda in in the U.S. And it was all around justifying the attack, um, you know, capability around the terms of the surrender, what they're looking for. It's trying to get the American people to reach out to their politicians and sway yes. public opinion mm -hmm. to make Russia look good or to make Russia better. It's and it can be surprisingly effective. It's... You know, you start small and kind of grow the lie. Uh, right. You know, you can you can follow along. It's yeah. So here's some yeah. COVID nineteen messaging in Russia. It was lockdowns and boosters prevent transmission. Russian public figures or figures um, testing positive cases and deaths are increasing in Russia. Right. Vaccinations fail to curb transmission and are ineffective against new strains. That's what they're kicking out in the English world. The Pfizer vaccine has dangerous side effects. Pfizer and Moderna conduct unregulated trials. That's Russia telling right. American people. People want, you know, they're already skeptical of anything developed so quickly, right? So it's very easy to to tap into that. Um, and it's- Exactly. It's just vulnerability. Take, you know, the, the oldest trick in the book, you know, finding, finding the vulnerable and taking advantage of that. Yeah, so this one is really concerning to me. This is probably the biggest concern I have. Um, and, and there's a really good one. There's there's a really good chart on U.S. The U.S. and China tend to operate in sync with one another, and it yes. shows the divergence. Mm -hmm. And when you see a divergence like that, a change, to me, that's usually, okay, there's something here we need to yes, dig into. there's a mitigating factor, yes. There's something here. And so you can really see as the RPI for Canada increases while the U.S., doesn't increase at the same extent, you can see that there's active targeting going on there. Right. Why Canada versus the US? I can't tell you. I mean, somebody obviously determined that we're putting resources here for a reason. What that reason is, I don't know. Right. <laughs> okay, so yeah. last one, a strategic response to the full range of Russian cyber threats. This is this is Microsoft saying, hey, there are four tenants to countering the Russian cyber threats, digital tactics, yes. private, pu public-private collaboration, 
Yes. Multilateralism and free expression. This is the one to me, which is like, yeah, of course. Okay. Right. I do agree with the public and private collaboration. I agree with what they're saying here. Um, This is motherhood and apple pie. Yeah, we should all do this. I'd love to see more how. Yes. Yes. It's, I mean, it's, they only had so much time to put the report together, Eric. I mean, there's, I think there, there should be a, uh, like a, an ellipses at the end of this report, more to come. Uh. I agree. <laughs> now I will say in ending, we are seeing this collaboration that, that Brad Smith and Microsoft talk about. Yes. Right. We're, we're seeing the, I, I mentioned the, the uh, ISR and the overhead capability that we're providing to them. You know, there was a, there's a reference in here back to the Battle of Britain again about radar and how yes. it made such a difference and, and you couldn't really see it, but it it provided that intelligence, that capability to allow the the, the Brits to know when the Germans were coming and know where yes. and how with a with a smaller air force and and on the defensive to multiply mm-hmm. their force, right? We're doing that. We're doing that in cyber. Uh, General Nakasone on on yes. June 1st was quoted in Sky News. He confirmed for the first time that the U.S. conducted mm-hmm. a series of operations. I'm reading this to make sure it's exactly right. Yes, yes. I've mentioned it on the show before. In support of Ukraine's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, mm-hmm. we've conducted a series of operations across the full spectrum, offensive, defensive, and information operations. yes. So I think, you know, you're seeing here the coalition of the willing come together, commercial organizations like Microsoft and many others. Yes. You're seeing governments come together. Yes. And work together. And in this interconnected world we live in, I think that's a very necessary and good thing. It absolutely is. And and I know we're kind of on time today, but I, I do want to yeah. kind of close with, you know, more of the ellipses conversation and, you know, with all of this support, which has been wonderful and, you know, this IT army and the volunteer cyber army, uh, you know, it's like everyone to the defense, you know, for both sides, um, it is setting us up for a really interesting path ahead when a lot of these, if you're, you're not government, but you're trying to, you know, help the Ukraine with, you know, offensive attacks, uh, that's a real great area. It's, uh, you know, I, I highly recommend everyone go take a look at this um, IT Army of Ukraine report uh, because they do call out, you know, it's it's a hybrid cron- construct that's neither civilian nor military, neither public nor, or regulated. Private, nor local nor international and neither lawful or unlawful. I mean, highly, highly gray area operation here. Uh, and we're really setting the stage for what it, what's to come out of this. It's it's kind of a, a dangerous, kind of scary, but yet very interesting time that everyone should keep an eye on. And I don't know that that's getting talked about uh, as much as maybe we, it should be. We should get Stefan on the show. I think that I would, would be a that. great interview. And, okay. and as, as we're closing out here, do you want to tell our audience how many people are reportedly Estimated to be in the the uh, the the IT army of Ukraine. Uh, I think it was in the hundreds of thousands. They estimated Eric, yes. based on the te- the the Telegram channel subscribers. Yes. Up to three hundred thousand personnel in the IT army of Ukraine. Wow! Wow! So. At one point, right. <laughs> at one point, I think the Russians, I don't know what the numbers are now, had, I think they were, they hit a hundred thousand troops on the border of Ukraine mm-hmm. in Russia. 
and I, I think it might have gone up to 150, 160,000. Don't don't hold me to that. But I just right. just putting it into perspective. Let's assume it's 150,000. It was never 300,000. No. No, that's that's a remarkable number. Uh, and twice as many people in the yeah. IT army of Ukraine. And they're all distributed right across the globe, I suspect. And how do you manage that? Who's coordinating that effort? And and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of gray, a lot of gray. I mean, that's craziness to me. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating topic, and I I think the years are going to show us ahead. Um, you know what, how that transpires in in an impact of such. Um, it's, it's, uh, I definitely want to get, uh, get the report author on our show. I have so many questions for you, Stefan. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, so, so I've got, I, I just did a quick Google search here, Rachel, the United States army in total uh-huh. active duty members personnel is around 482,000 as of wow. 2020. Wow. The Ukraine IT army is what? Two thirds of that? Just about? Ish. Yeah, yeah. That's remarkable. That's people attacking Russia, right? So yeah. we don't have a lot of data on, on the impact in Russia, but it, it's definitely something we should we should talk about and tease out in the future. Absolutely. We've gone long enough, though, on this special episode. Yes. I do appreciate your time. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed it. Yeah, this has been great. So everyone, thanks again for joining us another week. Again, never, ever forget to smash that subscription button. Uh, get a fresh episode every week and, and more discourse on this very, very fascinating topic. So and until next time, everybody, be safe. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 